Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Father Paul! What's How up, are Giuseppe? You? I'm good. That's what they call me, Giuseppe. Well, now that you have joined the mustache... Ba-boom. Club. The Creeper Club. This esteemed and noble society of you, mustachioed men. Yeah, I just kind of did it for this episode. I'm not going to really, keep it. Really? You're not going to keep it? I don't know. I kind of... Okay. Mine There's has a pic- grown on me. There's a picture <laughs> of me there? and my dad. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> There's a picture of my dad and I that we look a lot alike he had a mustache my entire childhood all of that but i felt like that was the 80s yeah (laughs) that was acceptable now us younger people that have this it's either you can do it or you cannot it's kind of creepy you know what i mean yeah I'm like, ar- I'm already like so far into alternative lifestyle with like the cassock and just being a priest, <laughs> a man's part. Like it doesn't matter so much. You're, I'm you're not used to people looking at you society. weird. Exactly right. I what's know. A little, I have to, what's a little more weird on right. top of what I'm already doing? Uh, yeah, I have to like pick up a child from school every day. <laughs> and you're like, hey, you're like, hey <laughs> guys, got my mustache. <laughs> they're like joey what's wrong with your voice mr Ex- scansella exactly <laughs> uh oh gosh isn't that weird when they're like mr scansella and i'm only 35 years no old. one has ever called me mr scansella get out of here anyway also in other news mm. you decided to have your best fantasy week of the entire <laughs> oh season against me <laughs> this career week <laughs> literally it's your highest scoring week yep. all year no and i'm not even done Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Whatever. So, yeah. So we'll set up to our listeners in case Which you didn't we're really going to tie. Episode. We're going to tie, but you'll have the tiebreaker points for. Yeah. Because you're one, you have one more loss than me right now, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I so was six and six. You were seven and five. Yeah. So, Joey and I played each other in fantasy football this weekend. This is the last week to kind of determine who makes it into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And we were really neck and neck. Like Joey just said, I was actually trailing. But uh, if I beat him and beat him by enough points, I guess, I don't know exactly how it works, um, right. I would win the tiebreaker. <laughs> Currently. Right there, though, <laughs> is the problem with that statement. I don't really know how it works. You shouldn't be allowed to win the t- with that statement. <laughs> oh. <laughs> about our fantasy football league. I'll need to know all, all the behind the scenes and everything. Right. I just need to... I just need to know who's going to put up 45 points in the tight end position. That Dar- was ridiculous. Darren Waller had a career week. 200 yards That was receiving. ridiculous. Two touchdowns. Every one of my players underperformed. Every <laughs> Frank Gore, okay? Oh, yeah. All our listeners are probably like, I don't care. So I don't know anything. Bear with us. This he <laughs> never gets injured. No. Ne- he's known for not getting injured. He doesn't have a high ceiling for points, but he never gets injured. He's he's a safe play, they would say. The safest. Second play of the game. Gone. Keep he got cashing. you 0. 0.2 points. Yeah, at least better than zero, right? Yeah. yeah not so, a complete goose egg. You know, Kurt, let, let me just go into this a little bit more since you brought it up. 
Um, All right, we're moving on to our next segment. Right now, I have one person left to play. The score is 158.3 to 67.6. Yeah, it was a rough week. Austin Eckler, nothing. Frank Gore, nothing. But you still have Lamar Jackson. Like, he could put up 80 points, 90 points. No, he can't. (laughs) 90.7 points would tie us. Get out of here. CD anyway, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to gloat. It's only because you brought it up. I brought it up because I was depressed yeah. all weekend. And by all weekend, I mean Sunday, just the Lord's just Day. <laughs> yeah, just, that, <laughs> just that most holy and And in the most days. humble way, my wife was like, you think, you think fantasy football is good for you? And that just like. <laughs> took me to another level and be like well it's probably good you didn't make the playoffs you need to you know not care as much and i'm just like <laughs> and you're like i'm the reason he's playing in this league because <laughs> you invited me I, into I, your league i convinced the league to go to 14 teams <laughs> to get you in and this is the thanks i get and it's Whatever. not just that my team features it's that it had this like unstoppable like league high i don't know if anyone who's gotten a higher higher score all season yeah maybe one maybe the tyreek hill owner last oh, okay. week yeah 62 60 points or whatever so. but still but still you're one of the highest yeah and you saved it for this week this week, week 13 get out of here okay anyway let's move on so <laughs> i thought it'd be fun today even though this is not our question edition one question really caught my intrigue and I would love to answer it, and I would love to actually dive in a little bit to it of practicals. And it can be a little controversial, mm-hmm. but you know me. Love some controversy. So this question comes from Brian. Brian says, hypothetically, Father Paul is elevated to the position of cardinal mm-hmm. and becomes very influential with the U.S. CCB. Mm. United States Catholic Conference of Bishops, okay, in case our listeners are wondering. What would the then Cardinal Bechter implore U.S. bishops to do more of, and what would he demand they do less of? Yeah. I love the question. First, Brian, thank you for... uh, He even put his last name. I'm not going to say it because I don't know how people feel about that. Thank you for your courage, Brian. Yeah, Brian, you first name, last name, love it. And I just thought it would evoke so much conversation. Couldn't save it for just the question edition because there's some things that jump out to me as a layperson. And I mean, of course, if you were ever made a bishop or cardinal, you would probably hire me in some capacity. In a diocese. Yeah. I always joke that my only way out of St. Anne's is really if like Father Edwin (laughs) or you or Father Kevin, well, let's face it, Father Edwin or you. (laughs) (laughs) Biggest, practically the biggest parish in the Metroplex. I've hit my ceiling. (laughs) I'm 35. (laughs) Anyway, so um, yeah, great question. Really intriguing you know, there's like practical ways you could take this. There's probably controversial ways you could take this. Um, I don't know what initially just jumps out to you. I think the the one word that jumps out to me more than anything else is clarity. Um, 
And I mean, we can take that a whole bunch of different ways, but I think sometimes uh, you get the sense that when uh, the conference of bishops speaks, right? Because that's what we're talking about, particularly. Um, when they speak, sometimes it's with a prophetic clarity, and other times it sounds more like the way politicians speak, mm-hmm. uh, where they're obfuscating in some way or right. or speaking in generalities to kind of get around uh, the issue. I think what we need from our leadership more than anything else um and I pray that I'm given the courage, even in my current role, to mm-hmm. what extent I, I'm called to do this. Uh, I think we need a prophetic uh, boldness and a clarity and a non-apologetic um, declaration of the truths of our faith. Mm. Um, I feel very strongly, uh, because I'm not that far removed still in my mind from right. like being a Catholic in the pews. I've been a priest for five years. I was a seminarian for quite a while before that, seven years, something like that. Um, and so it, it has been a long time. Right. Since like 2009. That's when I entered seminary. Uh, but it's, how to say this? I think I would have felt left behind or neglected um, in the current atmosphere of our church. Uh, were I still layman in the pews. Um, and I'm not exactly even sure what I mean by that because mm. uh, there's so many factors that come into it. But right. um, it's kind of a tricky thing. Um, and this would take us further afield. But like our, our church by nature is evangelical, evangelistic. It's it's meant Are to, we though? to go out by by our nature. This by is our who, nature, yes. Yeah, so, yes. So that's okay. what I'm getting to. So that's who we are by our nature, uh, is spreaders of the gospel, um, missionaries. And uh, that means that we we do need to be like uh, like even Pope Francis said in Evangelii Gaudium, uh, his his first mm-hmm. solo document of his papacy. Um, we need to be oriented towards those who do not know Christ, right? Always trying to seek to bring Christ to them. That's mm-hmm. who we are by our nature. We are, you know, the church is missionary. Um, <clears throat> and so with that, there's a certain kind of contradiction, right? To say like, if I who had studied theology and was taking my faith extremely seriously, mm-hmm. was very sort of committed and uh, engaged, mm-hmm. um, which is not the norm, I would say. Right. Right? Um, if I felt like I didn't have my needs being taken care of, right. as I just said, you know, I would have been neglected or something like that. Maybe I would have been missing the point a little yeah. bit. The point being like, no, I, I need to <laughs> go out and spread the gospel um, and not look for the church to simply feed me. Right. Right, to become a feeder of others. Yeah. Um, so there is that. But I guess having said that, that's not really, I think, why I would have felt neglected. I think... 
I think when the word clarity comes to mind, like there are a lot of people who are confused about what we actually believe in particular when it comes to moral issues, but also doctrinally, like there's a lot of fuzzy confusion. Mm. Um, and if we really believe that the truth will set us free, um, and that there's no path, but Christ himself, who is the truth and fidelity to his teachings and to his word, um, then like we can't be afraid of speaking the truth in boldness and clarity. Always in love, yes. Right. But never allowing a false compassion to dilute the truth such that it no longer becomes salvific. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing just on that sort of line of thought, like I remember reading... Um, a document by JP2, your favorite. Um, when Be not afraid. <laughs> yeah, the original, the first one to say it. He coined it. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's just silly. Um, I, I remember reading uh, Veritatis Splendor, The Splendor of the Truth, this beautiful document by JP2 yeah. um, on moral theology uh, when I was in college. I was already a, a theology student, I had shifted my major from physics to theology. Um, that was the year before I entered seminary. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember even even my my teacher for that class saying what a gift that document was when it came out. Right. Um, that there was so much confusion on like basics of how Christians are supposed to live whether sin exists like real fundamentals um and with that document coming out like it's it's not that it says anything new but it confirms with clarity um in the modern age that which we've always held to be true right the the whole deposit of faith of the church that we've that we've protected because there's a sense in our current age, and there has been over the last century, really, that uh, everything is subject to change. And when there's that relativism, um, which Pope Benedict called a dictatorship of relativism, right? when that's the prevailing view, or when that is the thing implicitly held by our culture, um, then it's very hard to feel any security um, in the faith because what if everything could just change tomorrow? And right. so that's why I say like clarity. That's what I mean by clarity Yeah. as, as like the, and, and I know that that's not addressing specifics, but I think if you're looking for, for a, a tone setter, that would be it. Yeah. The only fear I have in that, push back a little bit. Yeah, do it. Just here, because uh, I, I I know your answer, and I, I just want you to share it with people. Is I I worry that priests would hear, okay, I just gotta like kind of throw down the iron fist and like just shove the teachings in people's face instead of you were you were starting to touch on it, like the call to be missional, right, right, Matthew twenty eight twenty. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? So 
we have this call to go out. We have this call to be missional. The power of the Holy Spirit. We see in the Acts of the Apostles. I feel we've lost a lot of those things, that missional aspect as Catholics, and the on fire with the Holy Spirit. It's almost like we've given the Holy Spirit to our Protestant brothers and sisters to have, why we are not using it. And then, like, I just worry that, that people will hear, okay, that means just shoving the truth down people's face instead of Mm -hmm. instead of the being on mission instead like you know what i mean by that yeah yeah I, i think i do i think i would break it into two different aspects so like the first is it's not enough to say the truth you have to live the truth like the authenticity of witness is the most powerful uh missionary tool we have um and evangeli nuziandi yeah 41 yeah modern man listens more willingly to witness than to teacher (laughs) and if he listens to a teacher it's only first because they were a witness jp2 jp just kidding no that was actually uh pope paul the (laughs) six i got you yeah but (laughs) i your favorite quote but you you didn't know the quote um and I wasn't even thinking of that, so it was good. I was actually thinking St. Gregory Nazianzen. It's like the third theological oration. I forget. But he yeah. talks about the that like purity of one's moral life or holiness or however you want to call it, like living uh, the faith um, is essential for studying and teaching and explaining and defending and and all the things with words right that like you can't do one without the other um so even if you said all the right words they would lack something um but don't you think that's a common issue with a lot of our seminarians nowadays they know the teachings but is it is it a relationship with our lord Right. Like you can say, yeah, I, I, they could explain any moral teaching why it's wrong. Mm. But if it's not like if there's not an authentic relationship, what does it really like? What does it mean? Yeah. No, I think that's fair. And I'm not saying it necessarily about our diet, you know, Dallas seminarians, but there's a lot all over. And that's where you get that clericalism that we joke about. That's where you get these different things. And this aspect of, I I just worry that, I want a church on fire. I want a church alive. Mm -hmm. My kids experience that hopefully through the relationship of Nikki and I that we're friends you know you're a priest father Edwin you know things like that but most places in the United States we'll just stick to the United States for right now because Mm -hmm. Europe is a whole nother mess but yeah just in the United States churches are consolidating Mm -hmm. closing and when I go to them other parishes it's rough. It is rough. Mm. And it almost feels like we're trying to hold on to a dying, you know, we know we have the fullness of truth. We know like the gates of hell, hell will never prevail. Mm. But how do you inspire? Like, uh, I'm talking like you're a cardinal now. Cardinal Vector, how do you inspire? Uh-huh. You, you know what I mean? Like, how do you inspire them to be like, we've forgotten who... <laughs> 
who we are. You said it in your homily yeah. on. I was just yeah, Simba. You quoted Simba. Lion King, aka JP two, aka Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so you quoted James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. <laughs> Stuff. You know, right? Like, you've forgotten who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. Sorry to go off there, but that's I. No, I just I, worry about my kids growing up in. Yeah. In something that it's like they see a bunch of people that it's like, are these people even, they're not singing, they're not engaged, they're not like, they don't look like they have a relationship with our Lord. Yeah. I don't know. I know I'm negative, but I'm just tossing out for, you know, like, I feel like that would be one of your biggest issues as a cardinal, right? I would certainly uh, have a strong interest in um, the how to put it, evangelical witness of the liturgy itself. Um, I remember, like, so it, it's kind of weird as a priest, and even as a seminarian you could kind of pick, but, like, as a priest, when I go visit other parishes, I'm not often, like, joining in so much as, like, covering for somebody. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I'm not kind of held hostage to bad liturgy in the same way that uh, lay people are. Sometimes I can find myself in a position like that. But but that's one of the things, like, that's still very fresh in my mind that made a huge impression on me when I started to take my faith really seriously. And it's like, where can I find a liturgy that reflects the things we actually believe? Like, right. where can I find a, a church when I go to Mass that everything is consistent with what we profess the Eucharist and the mass itself to be. Yeah. Um, because it seems like there's this big disconnect and the places that do that, that just let the liturgy actually be the liturgy. Um, those are the ones where you get this, this evangelical power that comes um, of of testimony and of mission, even from the liturgy itself. Yeah. Like yes, it it also you know charges people to to go out and to witness to their faith. But like it's a place where you could bring someone and say we worship the one true God, and then they would be like, I see what you mean mm -hmm. from the liturgy um, right. itself. So so that would certainly be a part um, of things. Also, you know that like the red of a cardinal the red that they wear that symbolizes a martyr's blood like that's not something you should wish on somebody yeah um is that why f <laughs> is that why monsignor uh, monsignor henry our boss he doesn't wear <laughs> his uh wear he doesn't wear his monsignor i'm not, garb. I'm not sure if like the magenta of a, <laughs> of a monsignor it's like, like a little martyr symbolizes little martyrdom martyr. in the same way it's a little bit but, of martyrdom uh no yeah, i so like, i get that but, but is that like, I get that part of the liturgy that you're saying, the evangelical part of it. But it also needs to be backed up outside of that because there's a lot oh, of people yeah. who would never... I mean, we've always talked about it. We don't realize the Mass is for insiders. Right. It's not really no, as no, much... Like, yeah. if, if we were going to invite somebody and be like, come discover our faith, right? it might not be their first step in. Yeah. So... um. That's where I'm like, I think it needs to be backed up with other things encouraging our parishes to do like better. Yeah. Have I, have I talked 
I've I've been reflecting for about a a month or two now, and I've told to some different people like the I don't know if I've said it on our podcast, but the the analogy between like becoming a a parent of an actual child and becoming a parent in the faith. Have I talked about that on here? Because I don't. I like it. I, yeah. I think it has something to do with what we're talking about. But okay, so this is what I'm thinking uh, for this analogy. Um, with any normal family, right? Uh, or just imagine yourself growing up. Think of yourself. Um, you grow up and you uh, your family feeds you, right? As you're growing up. Uh, your kids are probably at this stage right now. Like they can maybe feed themselves a little bit. Uh, they know where food is in the fridge. They're probably trying to eat like the wrong food all the time. And you have to mm-hmm. tell them like, no, not until you've eaten your broccoli, whatever. So, um, so like we all pass through that stage of going from where like we're passive recipients, other people are taking care of us and feeding us. Yeah. And then we learn to feed ourselves. We become self feeders, adolescents. That's what adolescents do. Um, but we don't start really feeding others in earnest until we become parents. Um, and I don't know by experience, but I've, you know, I've got some people in my family who are, who are young parents. I've certainly gotten to know a lot of young parents here at St. Anne. That's been one of the great blessings of this assignment for me, um, including you and your family. And as far as I understand, like you can prepare quite a bit to become a parent, but like you don't learn how to be a parent until you actually become a parent and then you just figure things out and you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. You kind of get more comfortable just not knowing what you're doing, but you, you still have to step up and like actually figure things out. Um, the situation has sort of forced you into that. Yeah. Into that growth, uh, into becoming a parent. Mm -hmm. I think there's a really strong, um, analogy with how we share and consume our faith that um as we are uh growing up in our faith yeah. we, we move from being totally dependent on someone else like the priest or uh the youtube channel that we like to watch or whatever youth minister youth one minister. might say oh my gosh yeah youth how could i forget i never had a youth minister growing yeah. up Bermuda. Look at how I turned out. (laughs) You have a mustache. (laughs) Right. In case y'all forgot. Still there. Um, So, like, you go from passive, and then you learn to feed yourself, right? To, To, like, be discerning about the sources of sort of theological intake, right? Um, That you could even, like, oh, I have this question instead of asking somebody, let me try and look it up for myself because like I'm to that stage. I know kind of how right. to do things like that. A self-feeder. You've become an adolescent in the faith. Um, what I've found in uh, my assignment here is that for the past, I guess I've been here a year and a half, right, in this parish, this has been my equivalent of like becoming a parent because all of a sudden... I have a whole bunch of people 
who are uh, looking to me to feed them with, you know, some counsel or some answer to their question or with leadership in some way. Um, like that, that circumstance was sort of, you could say, forced upon me in, a, in an analogous way to becoming a parent. Like when, you know, your wife gets pregnant, uh, whether you were expecting and trying to get pregnant right or like maybe now's not quite the right time <laughs> and trying to practice nfp and all that yeah um like whatever was going on there you know when you find out we're pregnant you know okay i'm gonna have this baby in nine months mm. um and then when the baby comes like you have to figure out how to deal with it but you don't feel prepared so my point is like for me, uh, becoming a priest, I was a priest in Rome for three years, but I was still an adolescent in many ways in the faith mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't have anyone who was dependent on me, uh, like spiritual children, you might say. Right. I wasn't a spiritual father right? Um, in an experiential way. Yeah. Okay, so this is where I'm going with all that because all of that, <laughs> right, makes sense. You're like, yes, yes, yeah. I've heard this before. I know what you're talking about. Um when we talk about uh, the nature of the church as missionary and our great desire is to see our people on fire with the faith, sharing their faith, doing radical and heroic acts of love to witness to the power um, that dwells within them right. um, of this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, like we're talking in a way about them becoming adults in their faith, moving from those who come to church because they know that's where they'll be fed um, and even moving beyond the stage of being a self-feeder uh, you might say like someone with a with a prayer life um, is the equivalent of of a self-feeder um, to becoming an adult someone who will share their faith with someone else who who they're raising in the faith you might say right um like all of us are called to become spiritual fathers and mothers as missionaries. That's what you do. You bring the faith to someone else so that someone through your instrumentality is now born into the faith. Mm-hmm. That's what being a missionary is. The difference, and I hope everybody's been following me all this time because it's a long analogy. Tracking. The difference is for you as a parent and for me as a priest being assigned here, and I'm sure for you, like when you started in youth ministry, you saw the spiritual side as well. It's forced upon you. Yeah. All of a sudden, these people are dependent on you. That's not the situation for most Catholics. You never get put into a situation where it's forced upon you now to figure it out. Even if you don't know what you're doing and you don't feel prepared to like examine your own faith life and to figure out how to bear witness to Jesus Christ or how to console this person when they're sorrowing specifically in a spiritual way um, or to have a tough conversation with somebody about sinful habits, you could say, right? Like we're comfortable to a point doing that in other realms of life, but we, when people don't go to this like 
missionary adulthood in the way I'm describing it, um, it's often because they don't feel like they're ready. I don't know how to do that. I'm not equipped. Um, but just like becoming a parent, <laughs> a, a natural parent, like studying and equipping and all that, that's important. Right. But there comes a point where you just have to take a plunge. <laughs> well, and um, it reinforces what you talked about earlier is the reason you take the plunge is because I've held four of my children, right? You look at them in the eye, you see this child that you helped create, the love of them. That propels you to do whatever is needed. Yeah. In the same way, you've encountered the person of Jesus right. Christ exactly. and it's profoundly changed you to know I will do whatever it takes. I'll talk to my neighbor who I rarely talk to. I'll invite them to something. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I was I was trying to look up and it, because I read at one point and I can't remember which book in college I read it on, but just some author talked about how many miles the apostles must have walked mm-hmm. by foot after Jesus was resurrected to spread the good news. Yeah. And I won't even talk to my neighbor. Right. Right. You know, I won't invite my neighbor to the St. Anne Carnival, which is like no religious thing, but because I don't want to be too pushy. Right. But they walked hundreds of thousands of miles. Yeah. You've got St. Paul, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, saying, Caritas Christi Urgetnos, like the love of Christ impels us and compels us, like pushes us to go out to spread that love. Um, and we keep thinking, yeah, but, you know, not me, not in this situation. So right. I, I know we're probably getting kind of... Yeah, we're, kinda, we're getting close on time. Long, we're but a little I, bit I, I want to give, like, maybe to, to br- bring this to a conclusion, like, some concrete ways. Um, when we talk about being missionary and or being a, a missional adult in the faith or whatever... Right. Um, like sometimes I hear that language and I struggle with like, okay, but what does that look like actually? And a big part of it is what you just said, invitation. That's a small thing that goes a really long way. Yeah. It takes courage on our part and a certain boldness. Yeah. Right. A willingness to be turned down. <laughs> um, but to think it's worth it. Like invitation is a very small thing, but it mean it can mean all the it, it, it can mean the, the world uh, right. for somebody. Um, another way uh, of being missionary in your own circumstances um, is loving radically those around you. Like that's, that's what we're told in Acts of the Apostles. Um, yeah. And in the testimony of the, the early church that distinguished Christians those around see how they love one another um even if you don't know what to say um the witness of your charity (laughs) goes further than you think yeah um and then there's there's one final thing to actually like bring it all the way back to the the clarity yeah point uh that was at the beginning of this question um i just more just because I think it's interesting, just wanted to share it. I was, when I was at the Casa Santa Maria in Rome, right, as a priest, uh, studying those three years uh, after I finished seminary, still studying in Rome, uh, I had a friend there who was, let's say, 10 years older. 
than me. And he'd been involved in seminary formation, some different stuff before. And he was, I mean, he was there as one of us. He was getting a degree as well, an advanced degree in something. Um, But I remember he said to me one day, like looking around, he's like, it's so interesting to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in this moment right now. Um, For generations... Uh, let's say the past two generations, if you were to characterize the type of priests that were being raised up, um, you would say like a priest along the model of Christ the shepherd. Um, There's a real focus on like direct human encounter. (laughs) That sounds really artificial when I say it like that. But unlike caring for people. Um, and he said, right now I, I, I look around at all of these priests who are getting degrees and stuff. And maybe it's, you know, this isn't a, an, an adequate sample or it's a biased sample cause they're all getting degrees. But I see priests in after the model of Christ, the teacher. Um, and I think that's a very interesting thing if that's responding to a need in our time right now. Um, that's, I don't know if, if that hits y'all or whatever in the same way it hit me then, but it just, it really rang true with me at those. That's, that's where my gifts tend towards those kind of things. But the fact that he was like, I've, I've got enough experience to say like, this is something I haven't seen before and it's happening. And it seems to be of God that this is a, a gift that he is giving to respond to the current needs of our time. And that's part of the reason I answer clarity. Yeah. Uh, The truth in charity uh, spoken clearly as what I would do. Nice. All right. Well, let's finish with a game. Okay. And this game is called if I were Cardinal Bechter. (laughs) So, um, I'm going to toss out some things I thought about as a layman. Yeah. That would be cool. Um, And you tell me, as a cardinal, what would your ruling or decision be? Okay. (laughs) Sounds fun. You love this so much. (laughs) So much fun. Okay, so first thing, national safe environment database, right? You only have to become safe environment cleared in one diocese. I mean, this is just a fun little thing. 100%. How many dioceses have you been cleared safe environment wise in? Probably. Well, well, I mean, I'm I'm safe environment cleared here, but every time I do anything in a different diocese, they have to send a new letter from here for that specific occasion. Yeah, me too. And so, and also when I was on net, we traveled all these dioceses. I'm probably cleared in like 14 different dioceses. Can we get one national database? It is 2020 people. (laughs) One national database on safe environment. Okay. Second, what would you decide on? I've gone to many churches. I've, uh, you know, many different, selections for the blood of Christ, the wine that they use for that. Ah, okay. Cardinal Bechter, if you were a cardinal, what what would be your decision on the definitive that you've encountered, best wine of choice to use for the blood of Christ? White wine. Really? Yeah. Whoa, hot take. I know, right? (laughs) I was not expecting that. Just deal with that. Is that valid? Is that... Yeah, of course. Okay. 
It just it doesn't have to it, be red. No, it just has to be grape wine. I guess here we've only ever used red wine, right? Right. Um, it, although it's, we it's, do it's have It's weird a, to say. I, I'm not trying like to be... a rosé. Right. I'm not trying here, to be disrespectful in too. any way. But it is interesting. Different churches, like, it is really... That contrast is is pretty big on what churches use different flavors, different ones, and it's like you're kind of caught off guard sometimes. Yeah. You, you've you've said mass at a lot of places. I'm sure it's an interesting experience as a priest. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, would any wine not be valid? Interesting question. Um, I don't have time to go into all the minutia, <laughs> but but you love it basically a little bit um basically as long as it is grape wine with nothing added and it has not gone through any particular kind of like funky preservation um techniques that's like a technical term yeah funky preservation (laughs) techniques um most most wines that you'll find even in the grocery store are valid matter um Someone just told me recently, and I didn't know this, and it is important, so I don't just want to put it out there without being 100% sure of it, but there might be, like, you you know, when it comes to sacraments, there's valid and then there's licit, right? Valid means that it's sufficient for it to happen, (laughs) right? Uh, That this is the stuff you need for the sacrament. Licit means that it's also according to law. Yeah. Um, So... I am not because something could be valid but not listed. But not listed. Okay. Which just, would mean just that, making sure our listeners that understand that, that you're, you know, you're not following the rules exactly, but that you've done them sufficiently for the sacrament to take place. Right. But Is there still, like a good example of that? Uh, or no, yeah, not really. A, I mean, like if you if you start. Oh, let's say let's say this. Um, well, any, anytime you you break a law so to speak um it becomes illicit right right but it may not invalidate the sacrament we talked forgot the second reading yeah perfect you or like intentionally omitted the second reading uh, oh, okay um, <laughs> there you go like the mass yeah. would still be valid right you wouldn't have to redo the mass great say that mass for the same for the same intention over again right but it would be highly illicit mm-hmm. um but I derailed you on the wine. Yeah. Go ahead. On the wine. So somebody told you. I I kind of think that you actually in the United States anyway have to use a an altar wine that is approved by the USCCB. Um so you would for be it to be the... illicit. Um <laughs> but that any grape wine, not rice wine, like all those other, that's invalid matter. Any grape wine, grape wine without uh, additives Got it. is uh, valid matter. Okay. What would you, uh, if you're a cardinal, what would you make? Which Bible would we use for the readings? Where would we take our translation from? The uh, the Vulgate. <laughs> Go back to Latin. <laughs> Go back. Joking, not joking. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a big fan of the NAB. Um translation that we use yeah. yeah the translation we use right now um best english translation uh, yeah I get rsv question. yeah the rsv 2ce which is the yeah the the one that you see uh pretty much anywhere except for in the lectionary right that's it, it's a good translation it's a good one for catholics to have as their go-to um 
as someone who's you know spent all this time studying these languages and stuff, I come up with uh, problems about every translation. Right. And so I don't have a good like personal response to what is your favorite translation. Um, the ESV is also I've used it before and it's it's good. Yeah. Um, the RSV has the most sort of uh, familiar phrasing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the NAB does as well if you're just looking for familiarity. But there's a lot of things I don't like about the NAB. Uh, I don't right. know. Um, um, okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just make my own translation and right. make the whole U.S. church use it. Last but not least, more incense or less incense? <laughs> incense? Yeah. 100% more incense. More not, incense. Not just huh? 100% more, but 100% that there would be more incense. I um, figured you would fall that way, but just wanted the people to uh, hear. You know, big you're fan. all about it. Yeah, hypoallergenic incense exists. I get people have allergies sometimes and stuff like that. But I think as a symbol um, of the of so much, you've been to the cathedral <laughs> it's just so much in Spain. No, the I've Saint never Jane. been there with the with the two huge thur- thurifers. Oh my gosh. Um, we'll talk about that in another one. We're over time. We're way over time. We sorry, but that was a fun. Hey, Brian, you you killed it with a question that uh, got a whole episode. So yeah. congratulations Thanks, to you. You are awesome. Thank you to all our listeners. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to the most. And uh, just want to say, take care. God bless. <laughs>